I had one of those experiences yesterday where uh, God gave me a different sermon than what I spent the week preparing. That happens sometimes. Pastors can attest to that. I was thinking about the storm, and I was thinking, well, maybe there won't be very many people in church, and the sermon for, that I was planning to do, I really, really want to have as many of our church people here to hear it. And so I thought, well, what can I preach? And God just really gave me this message. Um, and so uh, the, this message this morning is titled, The Aftermath. And this is a picture of, uh, from Juan, Hurricane Juan. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. It looks like the South Shore or something. Um, <clears throat> some of you can remember who you were here for Juan, right? You remember Juan, the amount of devastation and destruction that took place there. And uh, I remember in, in Perth Andover in 2012, we had a massive flood. And can remember what that was like and the kind of the destruction and whatnot that took place. And yesterday, now thankfully here, there wasn't a lot of... A lot of damage, a few trees and, uh, well, brush and leaves and stuff down, but not too bad. In Halifax, you see that crane that fell down in Halifax? Crazy. Um, yeah, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of stuff. And, you know, when these, these storms rip through, they, they leave a real mess in their wake. Trees down and, um, you know, sometimes the, the aftermath of the storm is worse than the storm itself, right? The storm might be like a, you know, 12-hour period of wind and rain, but then it's like the several days afterwards that are the, are the worst part because then it's the cleanup and the restoring power and everything like we've already talked about this morning. And uh, some of you, maybe your yard needs a little attention, uh, whatnot. But, you know, th- here's the thing. I, life, and this is a classic, you know, this is not an original thought, but, you know, life can be like that, right? These storms that come through, these situations that we encounter, and then we have to deal with the aftermath of these, these storms in our li- lives, these events that happen, you know, where everything gets turned upside down and nothing is as it should be. I don't know what it, in, in your life what some of these storms have looked like. Um, I know we've had our fair share of storms as a family, you know, losing loved ones and that sort of thing. Maybe in your life there's been car accidents or, or you know, job loss, uh, losing loved ones, a diagnosis, a divorce, a bankruptcy, some injustice that's been carried against you. Um, you know, whatever. We have these storms. This is the reality of being human, is that these, these difficult experiences happen in our lives. The question really is, is... Uh, what do we do after these storms take place? Right? In the midst of the storms, God holds us and he sustains us. And then afterwards, in the aftermath of these storms in life, how do we respond? How do we react to those things? What comfort do we have in that time after these storms? What resources do we have that we can rely on that uh, can help us uh, be free from bitterness and despair and hopelessness and some of these feelings that can set in. What hope do we have? And so as I was thinking about this, God led me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The words will also be on the screen. I hear harps. Is this heaven? <laughs> beautiful. Is that coming from my phone? No? Somewhere. Just background music for the message. Get you in the spirit. Okay. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm just going to read here, starting at verse 6, to the end of the chapter. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He was a missionary at this time, uh, traveling all around the Mediterranean world and uh, witnessing for Christ, planting churches, uh, teaching uh, the gospel and teaching churches. And this is what he says to the church in Corinth. He says, uh, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. I lost my spot. Give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then it goes into chapter 5 and talks more about some of that stuff. <clears throat> now, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, as I said, he was well acquainted with suffering. Right? He's just not writing this from an ivory tower kind of thing. No, he knew what it was like to suffer. In fact, if we just go a few chapters over in 2 Corinthians, to chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of his suffering. He says, starting in verse 23, you know, he's had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Verse 24 of 11. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's got all these physical things that he's experienced, plus on top of that, this burden for all these churches that he has planted and is ministering to. Man, he knew what suffering 
was all about. I mean, I don't think any of us can relate to that level of suffering. And so he's saying to this church, he says, I know full well what suffering is. And yet, he writes what he writes in chapter 4 about it being a light, momentary affliction and all these things that he says. And, and trying to encourage us that despite all of this, these troubles that we have, we can have a kingdom perspective because of Jesus. And we can have peace and hope and all these things. So this is what he's saying in chapter 4. And the key is verse 6. Now, in a lot of Bibles, there's a paragraph break between verses 6 and 7. And 7 starts a new section. But there was no paragraph breaks in the original manuscripts, right? Paul would have just written the whole thing as one document. So verse 6 really should flow right into verse 7. And so verse 6 really explains verse 7. So verse 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7 it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So this treasure, go back to verse 6 on the slides there, please. The, uh, the, the treasure in verse 7 is what he's talking about in verse 6. So let's understand what that's saying, okay? So verse 6, let God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. Now think about this. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, this is the creator of the universe we're talking about here. The God who we are worshiping this morning, Jesus who came, the Holy Spirit that's in our midst, is the creator of the universe. I don't know if you ever studied the universe before, but the universe is massive. There are galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, billions of galaxies. And our God, who we are worshiping this morning, spoke that into existence. That's the God that we serve. Okay? We need to start with that perspective of who God is. Okay? He is a big, big, powerful, mighty God. He said, let light shine out of darkness. And it, it obeyed him. And the universe just came into existence. And that same God, it says in verse 6, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That same God who created the stars, who spoke galaxies into existence, sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh, God in the flesh, to be with us, to minister amongst us, and to die for us, so that we can know Him so that we can have His light in our hearts, so that we can have life with Him and a relationship with Him. This is the gospel, folks. This is the good news. Yeah, amen. Don't be afraid to say amen, by the way. All right. He's with us if we know Him as our Savior. He's incredibly close, this big, big God. So we read that in verse 6, and we get that in our heads. Okay, we have this good news, this gospel, this kingdom of God, this relationship with Jesus, and all that comes with that, all the blessings and joy and peace and everything that we have that we have in Christ. We have that, okay? And now it says in verse 7, we have this treasure. Now you can go to the next slide. We have this treasure that... Jesus, the gospel, all of this wonderful stuff, the power of God the, who created the universe living within us. We have all of this. But then here's the thing. It says, but we have it in jars of clay. We have it in jars of clay. 
This is the challenge. Not a, not a problem, but the challenge. This picture is um, obviously of an ancient jar. This, was found, this is in, the, in a museum in Greece, or in Cyprus. Um, and they've, uh, archaeologists have been finding these jars, oftentimes buried, that had all kinds of coins in them. And, uh, and it makes me think about the, the parable of, uh, that Jesus tells about the man who found a, a treasure buried in a field. And, and then uh, he went and sold all that he had so he could buy the field and get the treasure. And Jesus said that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like this treasure uh, that's, that's, uh, that's buried in this field. And it's worth everything that you have, right, to get that treasure. And, and this is the same terminology that Paul uses here, right? He says we have this treasure, this treasure of Jesus, but we have it in these jars of clay. Now, what's he getting at here? You know, a king in ancient Israel might put his treasure in a beautiful golden box or a golden jar or some sort of thing, something very ornate. Uh, but a, an average person would just have these clay jars, these simple clay jars, the, nothing fancy, nothing ornate, maybe cracked, um, scuffed up, used and reused, just an average, normal clay jar that everybody would have. You know, it's like the difference between grandma's fine china in the cupboard that never gets used. Some of you maybe have some of that, right? Um, that it's there and, and sometime we'll use it, but you never use it, right? It's just there on display. Or, you know, you ever, anybody watch Downton Abbey? I know that Val Power does. Uh, we're Downton Abbey fans. And there's a movie coming out, by the way. We're pretty excited about that. The Queen comes to visit Downton Abbey. Can you believe that? Excited. Anyway, but, you know, the... Um, <laughs> These, uh, the Downton Abbey, they've got all of this fancy, you know, silverware and cutlery and bowls and everything, and they're always polishing it, and it's looking really nice, and it's the very best of the best of the best. Uh, uh, but uh, this, what, what this is talking about, what Paul's saying is, no, no, the, the treasure uh, is not contained, and he's speaking about us, not contained in, in uh, these ornate, luxurious dishes. It's just in, it's in the... Uh, you ever go to a cottage, or maybe some of you have a cottage, and you know, like the, the dishes that are at a cottage, right? It's like a, it's, everything's mi mismatched, and you maybe you got Uncle Uncle Bill's uh, retirement mug there from 1983, and and you've got like a whole bunch of different patterns, and there's chips and scratches, and it's used and reused, and like we're the cottage collection, okay? That's what we are as human beings. We are these jars of clay. And this great treasure of the gospel, that God has given this incredible thing, he has chosen to indwell in the hearts of these clay jars, of this cottage collection of people. Isn't that interesting? You know, one day, one day we're going to have new bodies when we go to heaven. One day we're going to be those ornate dishes with no scratches and no, nothing's rough around the edges anymore. But we're not there yet. It's not heaven yet. Uh, I read a book uh, called, uh, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, by Lisa Turker. Some of you have maybe heard of her, Lisa Turker. She's an author, a Christian author. And she wrote this book recently called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And uh, in one of the chapters in that book, she talks about how we are, in this world, we are between two gardens. Right, The Garden of Eden, when God created the world, and it was perfection, and it was holy, and it was awesome, and there was no sin. And then, 
in the future, when God establishes His new heaven and His new earth, His, His, His final kingdom finally come to earth, it's, and it describes it in the book of Revelation, it describes the tree of life, the same tree of life that was in the garden, but the tree of life is there in heaven as well, and this, beautiful, this river flowing, and it's like a restoration of sorts of the Garden of Eden. And, and so we've had this original garden where everything was perfect, and we have this future garden where everything is going to be perfect, but right now we are living between these two gardens. And nothing is quite as perfect as it should be. The world has fallen. There's sin. There's struggle. We live in a broken, messy world. And we are likewise imperfect, affected by the fall, prone to unbelief, rebellious, proud, selfish, weak. We suffer with disease, aches and pains, relational issues, tragedy, heartache, addiction, and so on and so on and so on. Like the neighborhood after a hurricane. This is what our world is like at times. These clay jars. But before verse 7 is even over in 2 Corinthians 4, we begin to see that there is purpose in the struggle. So we have this treasure in jars of clay, in this imperfect, ordinary world that is rough around the edges and all the things that we just talked about to show, so there is purpose, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, if we were perfect now, if we were strong and totally healthy and everything was great, we would get the glory, right? People would look at us and say, wow, look at that guy. Man, he's awesome. He's so strong and so handsome and so perfect and so holy. But when they look at us and they see the weakness, then they realize it's God who's strong and not us, you see. So God gets the glory and not us. His greatness is on display and not ours. Now, when we come to verse 8, in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul here now talks a bit about the kind of suffering that we experience. He, some of the, these uh, hurricanes, these storms that we experience. So he says in verse 8, you know, we are afflicted in every way. We are afflicted in every way. Some of you can relate to that too. It's like one thing goes wrong and then before that thing's resolved, another thing goes wrong. And then before that's resolved, another thing goes wrong. And this, it seems like there's some people like that. It's just like, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And it just gets worse and worse. And just like all these one thing after another. And Paul's like, yeah, we are afflicted in every way. And he says, we're perplexed. Some of you have wrestled with the question of why. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand why these storms have come. It doesn't make sense. And you get angry with God and that sort of thing. There's a great book by Philip Yancey. I read this one too. The Question That Never Goes Away. Why? And uh, it's a great book. If you, if you haven't read that, have a look at that one too. If you ever wrestle with that, you've experienced some tragedy or something in your life and, and you've got this why question. You're perplexed. Persecuted. Yes, absolutely. Struck down. Some of you feel struck down. Maybe there's people that are beating you down in life. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We're carrying this cross um, given over to death. A death at work in us. You see these ideas. This is what Paul's saying here. We, we all experience these, these difficult things. This is all bad news. Those are some of the storms. But what Paul is saying here is not depressing at all because he's encouraging us that despite 
all of these realities that we live in, the aftermath, the response to those circumstances, how we deal with those things can be good news because we still have the treasure and nothing can take it away. So as we read those verses, then this is what it says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed because we have the treasure. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair because we have the treasure. Persecuted, but not forsaken because we have the treasure. Struck down, but not destroyed because we have the treasure, because we have Jesus. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Yes, we experience suffering and death, but guess what? We have Jesus' life in us. The resurrection power is in us. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. But because we have the treasure, the life of Jesus also is manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, yes, but life in you. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. But life is also at work in us. We have the treasure. Yeah, it's in a jar of clay, but we have the treasure. So in the wake of suffering, in the aftermath of a storm, what follows is what really matters. When we cling to bitterness and despair and anger and hopelessness and all these feelings that we can have, or can we be thankful? Can we be hopeful? Can we be optimistic? Clinging more tightly to God. Remembering that we have the treasure. That we're not without hope. We're not, we're not, not all hope is lost. Because we have this great treasure. And here's a key too. Can we grow through the experience? Can we allow these experiences and the aftermath of these experiences to be times when we grow? Uh, even though God is not the cause of our suffering. And I, I need to say that because a lot of the times God gets the blame for our suffering. You know, we have a natural disaster and people say it was an act of God or the insurance companies call it an act of God. So why is God getting blamed for this? You know, climate change and all this stuff. God didn't do that. Uh, now, there are certainly times if God wanted to bring about suffering, he could do that. Uh, but I think, man, nine times out of ten, God is not the cause of our suffering. And yet, he is working in the midst of our suffering to bring about good. It says in Romans, right, that he is, uh, all things are working, he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to tell you about the lodgepole pine. Have you ever heard of this tree? Let me go to the next slide. The lodgepole pine. Let me just read this to you. An unusual evergreen is the lodgepole pine that is seen in great numbers in Yellowstone Park. The cones of this pine may hang on the tree for years and years, and even when they fall, they do not open. These cones can only be opened when they come in contact with intense heat. True. I looked this up to make sure this wasn't just one of these pastor's illustrations that's not scientifically accurate. I googled it. It's true. <clears throat> okay. Um, but God has a reason for planting them this way. When a forest fire rages through parks and forests, all the trees are destroyed. At the same time, however, the heat of the fire opens the cones of the lodgepole pine. 
And these pines are often the first trees to grow in an area that has been burned by fire. And this is a picture of where fire has gone through, and now these lodgepole pines are all growing. <clears throat> this is what God is doing in our suffering. He's using these things to help grow us. And some of you can, you know, if I, said, if I asked you, how have you had struggles that have helped you grow? How has God grown you? How, what deeper things have you learned as a result of suffering? What testimonies do you now have as a result of suffering? What ministry do you now have as a result of suffering? If I could go around this room, I probably bet almost all of you would be able to say something about how God has grown you through suffering. Um, many of you know who Rick Warren is, Rick and Kay Warren, um, in, in the United States. Um, a couple years ago, their son, who'd struggled for years with mental illness, committed suicide. Maybe you've, you heard about this. Uh, you know, talk about a storm. I mean, that, this is it's unthinkable. And yet now... Uh, Kay and Rick Warren have used that experience and they've started a ministry to families and to young people who are suicidal and, and they've, they're doing incredible ministry around that. So you see, God didn't cause that, but God is using that suffering to bring about good and to help others. Uh, a friend of mine, Aaron DeMerchant, uh, Aaron was sexually abused as a child and uh, messed him up real bad in his life. He went into drugs, went into crime. He was organized crime. And he was at the lowest point of his life in the hospital bed after an overdose. And uh, through a series of events, God saved him. Jesus saved him and set him free. And now Aaron is uh, director of, of a harvest house, a new harvest house in Plaster Rock, New Brunswick. And, uh, and God uses him to minister to people who have had similar experiences. And as I look at my own life and, and the things that, that we have gone through as a family, and I think, I, I can't think of any time when I've experienced some suffering that God hasn't then used in some way to help others. And as I walk with others through similar experiences. God wastes no pain. So in the aftermath of these storms, we can hold tight to God because we have this treasure that never fails. Because we can see God at work. And we can see that he is working to bring about good. And aside from the great peace and comfort and assurance that we have through our relationship with Jesus, through knowing him, there is yet one more thing that we have in Christ that ought to give us hope as we pass through this world and its storms. And that is our incredible future that we have, the hope that we have in store for us in eternity. So as we read this again in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe <clears throat> and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We will also be raised. We will enter his presence. And in verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. 
Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And listen to, to his perspective that he has. He has a heavenly perspective. He says, for this light, momentary affliction. Man, it doesn't feel very light. doesn't feel very momentary. I know it doesn't feel that way. But as you compare it to eternity, you recognize it is light. It is momentary when you consider the weight and the length of eternity. For so in this, we have this light, momentary affliction. Uh, is, and is preparing us for an eternal weight, weighty glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, the struggles, the trials, the storms, these things are transient, these things are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen? Amen. We can have hope. Let me pray. Lord God, you are so good. You're so good, Lord, even in the midst of the struggles that we have in this life and in the aftermath of those struggles. Your goodness never fails. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have Christ, that we can know Jesus, that he is at work in our lives. And I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, that is facing the the circumstances of this world without him in their life. And I just pray, Father, if there's anyone here in this room or anyone listening to this later who doesn't know Jesus, God, that they would turn to you, that they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And turn to him in faith and trust. Cling to you, God. There's no greater treasure in this world than Jesus Christ. God, we pray for those who are struggling today, whether they're in this room or not, Lord, we just ask that your peace would surround them, and that as the storm passes, and then they deal with the circumstances that come after that, we ask, God, that you would minister to them in a powerful way, and that they would cling to hope, and that you would grow them in the midst of all of that. So we turn our eyes to you, Jesus. The things of this earth, Lord, they seem so big to us, and yet you are so much bigger. May we have that perspective. In Jesus' name.